Hello, good evening everyone. So welcome to episode 35 of Tetarit with Walid and today it is extremely uh, special because I always say that I know but it is indeed special because we are going to have a PAP representation uh, on the show and I'm, I'm always extremely glad and happy when I have uh, somebody affiliated with the ruling party on you know, because it's not the easiest thing to to get uh, members of the PAP on. But it is what it is. So we will have Dr. Intan Azura Mukhtar on. She was, of course, a two-term PAP MP, Member of Parliament for Ang Mongkyo GRC. And she is an Associate Professor at SIT, the Singapore Institute of Technology. And she is... She is a... Uh, an educationist by training so it will hopefully be a fun uh, and enlightening conversation and she recently at uh, just released well this book has just recently been released well it's not it's on the market now but the official book launch is tomorrow so today is the launch before the launch okay so uh, it's edited by her and professor yakub ibrahim entitled Social Context, Policies and Changes in Singapore Beyond the First 50 Years. And it's a thick book, so I, I myself have a chapter in it. But the authors here, I mean, it, the forward is by, hello, hello, the forward is by, oh, Prof. Yaakob is here as well. Hello, Prof. Yaakob. So the forward is by Minister Lawrence Wong. And some of the authors are, also happen to be alumni of uh, TTWW, you, you have Anthea and you have Professor Walter Tessera, Mr. Zainal Sapari, Prof. Yaakob himself, they have chapters, but also others, uh, MPs, Patrick Tay, uh, Dennis Poir, uh, you have former MP Inderjit Singh, uh, and so on, and many others, Professor Elmi, Nikmat, and, and others as well. So, I do urge everyone to get this. I, I, I assure you it's worth it. Uh, it's an easy read as well. Uh, and it covers a range of, yes, alumni of TTWW Reggie. So it covers a wide range of issues. Okay, so uh, without further ado, let me invite her on. And then we can have a discussion on the book and on some other issues as well. Hello, Dr. Intan. How are you? Oh, why consult? Okay. So I thought this is supposed to be a secular setting. <laughs> okay. But then I still extend my salam, right? Yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah, so alaykum salam. So that just means peace be upon you. So I just returned the, return the peace greeting. Thank you so much, Dr. Intan, for, for being here. So you are the fourth person from uh, the PAP to be on. So Prof Yaakob was the first, was then MP first, Louis yeah. Ng. Yeah, so and uh, Mr. Zainal Sapari as well. So I really appreciate it. It's not it's not easy to get members of the PAP on for whatever reason, right? I'm sure they have other platforms which maybe they find friendlier or something. But anyway, it I am very glad uh, that you are here today. So I we will discuss the book. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, congratulations first and foremost. But before okay, that, I just wanted to to start the discussion by asking you, how are you? How's life after politics, especially your health? You know, I'm sure physically and mentally, it must be a much better situation now, I presume. 
Okay, uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, Princess Salva. I think uh, very good, actually. But before we go into that, I wanted to say hello to Prof. Yaakob. I saw that he joined in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he joined in. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, um, so, life after retiring from politics, I must say, it's. I initially thought I would have a lot more free time. Well, I have more time now, but I wouldn't say that it's more free time because uh, I think work in the university has also piled up. And I, for those uh, listeners and viewers here, just to let you know that Prof. Yaakob is my boss right now in SIT, okay? So I do report <laughs> to him too. Yeah. Oh, So that gives directly. an indication you of how much work directly. he gives me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right, yeah. 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 So, uh, how about your... Yeah, yeah. yeah my, my, my health, Alhamdulillah, uh, I think so far so good. I'm in the clear. I think for those who don't know, one of the reasons I wanted to retire from politics was because I, I had cancer. Um, but it was early stage. So, uh, thank goodness it was detected early and I went through uh, a minor surgery, including one whole month of radiation therapy, uh, medication and all that. So, it's been more than five years. I'm in remission and I think so far so good. Uh, it hasn't come back, uh, so I hope that uh, it will never come back. So just have to take care of myself. Um, past two years has been a lot of working from home. Uh, and I must say that working from home, while it's very good because I have more time for the family, more time to um, be more productive and all that, but I'm also getting into shape as I work from home. Uh, if Round is a shape, right? So a lot of sitting down <laughs> and all that. So I'm really getting a lot rounder for those who, are, who probably notice that too. <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I still do try to um, stay in shape, uh, better shape rather, other than round, <laughs> by doing some exercises at home. Uh, but of course, there's a lot more moving about compared to when I was an MP, when there were a lot more block visits, uh, community events, and so on. Yeah, But <laughs> yes, you know, round is a shape. <laughs> but certainly, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that life has been very good to me. There are many opportunities. Uh, I've been very privileged to have had opportunities to work in politics, on the ground, and now back to academia. Okay, so very long okay. answer to your question. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's good. And uh, it's, it's really nice to hear uh, about your health as well. Uh, because I remember the first time Brita Harian uh, ran an article about it. I think you were a bit reluctant to share more right i think it yes. was yeah i can and i can imagine as well yeah so i mean i i'm really glad uh you're healthy uh, now and healthier now uh so yeah because in, that, in the yeah. beginning i thought it was a bit premature to share the, in the beginning because right. uh it's still too early i'm still undergoing treatment and medication and all that but um once uh, i reach almost the five-year mark uh, i thought um then inshallah at least things were better uh, then I felt more comfortable to open up. Okay, okay. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Intan, for, for sharing that. Uh, so, so this book, let's get to it. So what, what is the motivation behind it? What do you hope to get out of it? And what are the main things that the book puts for? Okay. Thank you. First and foremost, Walid, you got the book before the book launch tomorrow. I'm supposed yes. to present it to you tomorrow. This one under table, I had to do a deal with the publishers. <laughs> so you, you got yeah. the book first, but good, it's good that you got it. Then I will pass you another copy tomorrow, inshallah, from Yaakov okay. and I. And thank you for accepting our invitation to attend the book launch in SIT. 
So this book, um, the motivation and the idea for this book started in November 2018. Uh, that's about almost one and a half years, about one year, slightly over one year since I joined SIT. And I started teaching the module called Change Management, the first half of which is on social changes and social issues and changes. So the textbooks that I was referred to when I inherit, so-called inherited the module were mostly general sociology textbooks. And I felt that the context wasn't quite um, focused on the Singapore context. It was very broad, just uh, broad uh, strokes, general concepts uh, related to sociology. So I wanted a book that could really uh, address and provide examples, specific examples, to the topics that were covered in that module. So I had the idea in November 2018, but I sat on it, didn't know how to start, never wrote a book before in my life. Uh, but when Prof. Jakob joined uh, about a year later, I just approached him and said, Prof, I want to write a book. Uh, I want to put together a book. Will you help me? and Will you edit this book with me? So Prof was very kind and he said, yes, let's do it. So I sat down with him, we planned the book, and we decided that we want this book to give a, not a very pro-government uh, approach to looking at issues, uh, not just to blow our trumpets about how well we have done, how far we have come, but really to take a good look at what are some of the pertinent issues, no matter how challenging they are, even though they are not um, considered perfectly addressed, ideally addressed, but I think it's important for us to take a good look at all these issues. What are some of the concerns on the ground? What are some of the trade-offs when it comes to trying to address these issues? And that's why we wanted authors who could give um, a broad spectrum of views. And that's why you were also included, Walid. Yes, because, and, I, yes. and I'm, really, I'm really honoured. <laughs> no, we're really grateful. I'm, I'm really grateful that you accepted the invite to um, contribute a chapter in this. So people like Indijit, yourself, Zainal, Patrick, uh, these are individuals that I know um, who would take a very, how do I say, a, a balanced approach, a really good look at the issues that we have at hand, not just always trying to wax lyrical about the things that we've done, how well we've done, but really to be, they are able to address some of the so-called contentious issues. Uh, because beyond the first 15 years, uh, that's why that's the title of the right. book. First 50 years, I think, yes, we've done well. But the next 50 years, looking at how our demographics have changed, how aspirations have changed, um, how our generation has become a lot more well-read, more well-informed, more global in their outlook, they want things to be done and to be addressed differently, not the way that it was done maybe in the first generation, by the first generation of leaders. And I think that's important for every one of us to be able to provide our, our take, our views to it and find that collective voice. You know, um, not all views can be acceded to. I think we know that for a fact. But at least if all the voices are heard and considered, then of course we know that ultimately the decisions that are made will have to be those where we have considered all those different options and voices and views. Yeah. I love that line. Uh, not all voices can be accepted, but all voices need to be considered. Yeah, that's, that's a really nice line, right? So, and I think you and Prof. Yaakob are, are in prime position to write such a book, right? Because you guys were from the establishment as well. So, nobody can accuse you guys of trying to disrupt the system or anything, right? So, what? So, you mentioned uh, the challenges. So, 
throughout the course of editing the book and writing uh, the chapters as well. So what what would be the biggest challenges you think in um, the next few years? In the next few years or the next 50 years? <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever, 50 years, 10 years. Or, yeah. <laughs> I think um, we, we have quite a lot of our policies um, that have worked well in the past up to this point even. But looking ahead, we re realize and we must recognize there's a lot more diversity. And there's a lot more, um, I wouldn't say demand, but um, the, the want, um, the desire among our population for greater diversity in terms of voices, in terms of views, in terms of um, even some of the strategies that the way that we've been doing things, why not try things that are a little bit different? Because what worked one or two generations back may not necessarily work well now or in the future. You know, um, like I said, our demographics have changed, aspirations have changed, uh, our people are becoming a lot more well-informed, well-educated, uh, they travel a lot more, they are more global in their outlook. So we need to consider, these are all the considerations we need to um, take in and look at how some of the solutions that we've had uh, or, or that we have in place whether they need to be reviewed, whether they need to be enhanced further and so on. Um, some of the challenges that still exist, I would say, okay, let's just focus on education because I'm very familiar sure. with that sector. Right. Yeah. We, we have done well in the sense that, you know, we, we do very well in tests, whether it's PISA uh, and so on. But is that the way forward? You know, for example, the PSLE, I've, I've spoken about this before in Parliament, I, I don't think, personally, I don't think it's the best way for us to test our 12-year-olds at that age in a, in a national level exam. You know, when, and I wrote about that in this book, in my chapter 2.5, uh, Education as a Social Leveler, Opportunities and uh, Outcomes. Um, sometimes at, as a 12-year-old, you know, when you're faced with fam different family circumstances, challenges in the family, and it may impact you, but you have to sit for this one exam over a few period or over a few days and then that will sort of decide um, your path ahead in secondary school or what subjects you can take later on. Um, so while streaming, academic streaming has been abolished, we are looking at uh, a lot more, um, what do you call it, levels, different levels, uh, differentiation. Uh, we started with academic banding and then now we look at doing away with, with streaming but we allow each student to take subjects at different level, levels according to their abilities. I was all for that. I was advocating for that. But I think now it's also time to look at the next sacred cow, which is the PSLE. Wow. Is there so you would say that? do away with it? That's what you would if, say? But of course, that was the question that I asked. We, of course, doing away with it sounds really good because as a 12-year-old, there are many other things that we need to look at for the child, how the child has progressed from primary one to primary six, for example, what are some um, other aspects of the child that the child is progressing in, not just the academic um, specter, not just the academic part of it, but in terms of character building, in terms of um, sports, in terms of um, music, you know, other interests as well. I think we need to look at a child more holistically. But then we also come to the question, what would be a good enough alternative to the PSLE? I think that's, right. there's no easy answer to it. Yeah? So those are the questions that I pose in the book. We, we won. I think it's good to do away with the PSLE, but what is the next best alternative that we can have? I think that's something that we need to continue to engage one another and discuss. Have that, those conversations 
and probably explore. Can we pilot it in one school first where we can have a through train, you know, primary one to six all the way to secondary four and see what can be done and whether it works. Right, right. Thank you, thank you. The conversation is going so well, so I would hate to disagree with you. But I, I, don't do I, agree. <laughs> I, I agree with you. But if I could just push you a little bit, right? So I, I do think at 12 years old, you know, it's, it's crazy, right, that we are putting so much pressure. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you and I both know, right? We, we both know parents who take the year off, right? to prepare for PSLE, they take no pay leave and all. So it's just so so much pressure on us at such an early age. And then if you go upstream, even worse, right? Like at 18, I mean, government scholarships at 18, like at 18, your frontal lobe is not fully developed yet, right? So it's, it's crazy that your, your future tra trajectory is determined at 18 as well. I mean, those are other sacred cows, I suppose. But if you were to take, if somebody and... And I'm a bit sympathetic to this view as well, right? So we want to make uh, things less stressful for, for students, right? But we don't want to take stress completely out of the system, right? Because a little bit of pressure is good for growth, it's right? So good, yeah. If, yeah, so if I could share, like, you know, I have a huge problem with this when I went to my uh, son's uh, kindergarten sports day, right? And a uh, couple of years ago and everybody got a gold medal and I, I got a huge problem with that, right? It's... <laughs> Is we are we are creating this. Everybody's a winner. You don't need to, uh, you don't need to try hard in order to get that gold medal. You know, even if you fail, you're still gonna yeah. be rewarded. So, so I had problem with that. And I when during the PTM, I mentioned it to the teachers where they said, oh, you know, they wanted to encourage, they wanted to encourage participation. I said, yeah, but you can give gold, silver, bronze, still, right? Everybody gets a medal, exactly. but different color or something. So. I mean, where, where is the line then, then between, because I see that that is a problem, but in, in correcting for the problem, we can go, the pendulum can swing the other way and then suddenly you remove. So where is that line that the, the government should, should try? Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you. I'm glad you brought up that uh, example. Well, it's a very good example. I think sometimes when in our bid to try to encourage everyone to be as inclusive as possible, we tend to overcompensate. And we say that... Um, well, everybody gets a goal. And then, uh, but to me, that becomes some form of tokenism as well. Right. Everybody just gets something, which also defeats the purpose of um, what life is really about. Because life is a competition. Right. We do not also want to push everyone to the extent of uh, thinking and accepting that it's a competition with everyone, every time, all the time. Mm. No, I think competition is good because like what you say, uh, a little bit of stress makes us better as individuals. We recognize what our um, strengths are, where are the areas that we can focus and improve and, and do even better. So I think what we do not want is to go, like what you say, the, the extremes of the pendulum. You know, make it overly competitive, but at the same time, um, overcompensate and make it like a form of tokenism entirely. So we want our students uh, and our young people especially to be rewarded for their effort. And I think like what you mentioned, that example, having gold, silver and bronze is perfectly fine. But what's important is how we message it. What is the message we're trying to convey to our young right. people? Does it mean that only getting a goal is important right. or is worthy right, of right. something? No. If you, if you didn't, let's say like the year before you had no medal, this year you got a bronze, you have improved. There's progress. Right, right. You're making progress. You should not be 
pitting yourself against somebody else who who got a silver last year and now getting a gold and say, oh, you're not as good as that person who got a gold. No, you're making progress. I think it's always important to look at where we were, where we are now, how far we have moved. And it's always important for parents in particular to encourage their children, saying that, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of what you've done, uh, but at the same time, I know that you can do even better. These are your strengths. These are the areas that you probably need to work on, but let's do it together. You know, see how I can encourage you, how we can improve over time. I think it's worse when parents start to compare. You see, like, you got like this, and then that other child got right. this instead. Why can't you be as good as that person? I think that really dampens the spirit of the child. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, I know that also theoretically, but it's not that easy to implement in, in real life, right? I mean, you always there's always a tendency like you just want to compare with uh, another person, the classmate, or yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it. I mean, parents because we were also brought up in that environment, right? So uh, and therefore we think that that is the way to to go subconsciously or consciously, whatever it is. But yeah, I think even parents uh, like myself, we need to do a lot of unlearning as well. Uh, yes. So, yeah. So, so it's, you, it's not you just meant, the government. Yeah. Mm, sorry, Wally. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Puts yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, uh, certain policies, but we as parents, what is the message we're trying to convey to our children right. and our young people? Yeah, it, it works both right. ways. Right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and your your the title of your uh, chapter was education as a social leveler, right? And you already talked about. Let's think about the sacred cows, right? Then, should we go for the ultimate sac sacred cow when it comes to education and inequality, which is meritocracy? Is that, is that the root of it? Because, I mean, tuition is a billion-dollar industry, right? So, I mean, uh, and there is no meritocracy to that already, right? There's, there's yeah. a lot of income uh, differences that make up. And then, once we start believing in meritocracy as the ultimate where is the be all and all? Then we start thinking that oh, I'm I am here because of my own effort, right? Yeah. Thinking, I mean, not not thinking about the amounts of money that our parents spend on us on tuition and all, and other people may not have had access to those resources. So, is it time to rethink that at least, or do away with that? What What do you think? I think we can't quite run away um, from looking at uh, merit. I think we can't quite run away from that. Uh, in many aspects of our lives, whether it's in school, in our workplaces, uh, even you and I know every year we have to go through appraisal, right, Walid? It's yeah, and we are judged on a curve also, right? <laughs> yeah, we're always, it's always based on merit. But I think what's important is that we need to broaden our definition of what is meritorious, what is uh, considered merit. It's not just uh, specific benchmarks. It's not just grades that you get. Uh, certain yardsticks that we are so used to. But again, looking at um, how we can evaluate a person a lot more holistically. And so even for our children, it's not just the academic um, attainment alone, that means how they perform in exams or tests, but looking at their achievement overall as well. Um, how have they shown themselves to be um, a good friend or a good leader to their classmates? How have they mm. shown care and concern towards um, members of the community, uh, those less privileged? Um, how have they honed their leadership skills and so on? So we have to look at things a little bit more broadly, like, holistically. It's, um, and I, I guess I can understand also the, the difficulty because when you start, when you want and you desire to look at things a lot more holistically, it's also a lot more messy because yeah. there are no very well-defined yardsticks 
and benchmarks that you look at. It's a uh, there's right. a lot more subjectivity, not just objectiveness uh, of looking right. at specific benchmarks or yardsticks. But that's something that we have to get used to because, and we have to do. I think we cannot run away from that because that is something that our young people and I think even parents like yourself and I and and I we want because we want our students to not just fit into very nice, neat little boxes and then they are defined by that. No, because right. we have so many abilities, so many strengths, so many um, cap- capacities and potential for us to hone. You know, as, as an individual, it's not just about neat little boxes that we can fit everyone into. That's also the very reason why I was so against academic streaming. Because I've taught students in normal technical and I know that all they wanted is really a chance. But that um, Pygmalion effect, the fact that they think that they are fit into this box or that particular stream, that's all they're capable of. Right. But if you give them a chance, you help them to progress, to look for small successes at first, then they find that they can do it on their own. They just need a little bit of hand-holding in the beginning. Right. So I, I'm glad that has, uh, is something that MOE is, is working towards, uh, uh, abolishing the academic stream and working towards broader bands. But of course, there are still other sacred cows, like what you pointed out, not just based on the merit system and meritocracy. Um, one example that I've been speaking about, um, which have not, we have not quite instituted any changes to it, is the SAP schools, for example. Right? Um, people have brought about the, um, really, is it still something that's really relevant in this day and age, the um, SAP school special assistance plan schools, where you know mostly you have to take a mother tongue that's Chinese to be able to go into SAP schools. I have nothing against SAP school. I think it's good if you want to encourage the understanding and appreciation of the Chinese culture and language. But there's always that tendency that SAP schools tend to be um, a little bit more parochial in the sense that the students that they admit would probably be uh, just along specific racial lines or ethnicities. But if you can open it up, open up SAP schools so that students who enroll did not just be those students who have learned the Chinese language, for example, but from different mother tongues. But when they, so long as academically and uh, based on other benchmarks, they can make the cutoff for the SAP schools, they can enroll in, learn the Chinese language, whether it's a, of course, maybe they can't take it at higher mother tongue, but at least they can take it as conversational Mandarin right. or as a third language or special language. I think that helps to improve the diversity of the school. Right. I think um, that's also something that I've discussed in this book and something I've spoken up in Parliament before. So these are the hard questions uh, that we need to ask and discuss and see, could there be other ways of doing it? of doing things that we, we have already done, but different approaches as we, as we progress, as we mature as a society. Right. Well, Dr. Intan, today all gloves off, suddenly the SAP schools and... <laughs> Hello, I, I, I spoke about this in Parliament too. I know, I know, I know. I know, I did, I did. So I think one of the things I think you were not covered as much as you should have been uh, I I did follow uh, your speeches, and I I always found that you were always very measured and very thoughtful in what what you said. Um, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't as covered as I I thought you should have. Uh, but it's you know people like the more bombastic 
uh, ones, <laughs> bombastic speeches. But uh, I, I definitely agree with you. In fact, I had this conversation with somebody important. I will not name that person, but that person was from a SEP school and maybe 50 years old now. And I asked that person, how many uh, non-Chinese friends that you have? in secondary school and you know and when you're in jc 17 18 and that person says zero no zero and those are the formative years like when you are powerful already when you have a position i mean and you have minority friends those are not really your friends right those are people who are around you <laughs> because of your position or whatever it is but it's during in your formative years those are actually very important so so critical so like you i am also uh, not against uh, SEP schools. And I don't think politically it's feasible to remove uh, SEP schools now. Okay. Yeah, but I think uh, how can we uh, make it more diverse, right? Um, so okay. there's, a, there's a question here uh, by Amir Mirza. Uh, any thoughts on degree expiry dates? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, I, when I first heard it on the news, I almost fell out my chair. <laughs> okay, um, I think I think the the intention was good, but maybe the delivery didn't quite achieve uh, the, the actual. You, you've intent. heard, Doctor Intan, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Okay, don't say that loud, or later. <laughs> No, it's a saying. No, I know. I'm yeah. saying it's just a saying. <laughs> yeah, I think the the intention is good in the sense that um, even after we graduate, uh, at least we have, even with the first degree, it's important to continuously. Uh, upskill, right? Um, find new ways in which we can have certifications, short courses that will make us um, really prepared for the industry that we're in. Because the reality is that it is true, the industries that we're joining, uh, they are very dynamic. They're changing very, very quickly. Just take the tech sector, for example. You know, every other week, you'll probably get some new development, yeah. a new innovation, some disruption coming about. And uh, to actually finish a university degree in three years, three and a half years, four years, sometimes we, we really wonder whether our students are really well prepared to be, uh, join the industry and then hit the ground running, you know, to be able to keep up with what the disruptions are, what uh, the new uh, innovations are. So I, I think like I said, the intent is good. It's good to continuously upskill, reskill, deep skill, cross skill, whatever skill you can call it, like what uh, Patrick <laughs> Day always says. <laughs> I think the to put an expiry date, I think no la. I don't think yeah, an expiry yeah, yeah. date. Because um the fact that you spend three, four years of your life uh, learning for the degree is not just about the um content of the degree alone that you learn, but really the skills that you develop over over those three, four years. The fact that you're able to work in teams, work independently. Uh, the fact that you hone your written communication skills, your oral communication skills, you exercise leadership skills, um, you are able to collaborate. I think those are other skills that you develop as well. So to say that after five years, yeah. those skills become obsolete and then there's an expiry, I think that's not quite right. Yeah. So it's just a delivery so, of the intention. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with people floating, as, as he called it, a radical idea, right? Because even sometimes I think if you float a terrible idea also, it can be fodder for discussion. And evidently it, evidently it was. So my problem wasn't whether it was a good or bad idea. My, my problem with it was, I, it seemed to me even, it, and I do agree, it came from a good place. It seemed like such an elitist idea, right? Because that would perpetuate the inequality even more because it's the lower income that 
that cannot afford that that kind exactly. of you know taking time away from work and so on exactly yeah. exactly yeah 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 so so yeah anyway yeah so i one one issue that i really wanted to get your thoughts on because you are i think you are the perfect person uh for this since you are an educationist and you know you are familiar with the research on this and i have do you think we have gone overboard with uh the covid restrictions specifically on education uh with masking children especially i worry that we are uh raising a generation that has missed camps for instance cannot touch their friends in school uh cannot read facial expressions because they they don't even know how their friends look like uh so uh do you think we have gone overboard in that Uh, in that particular sense not not in the general sense yeah just in the uh, particular sense of schools okay um i think that is a valid concern i think both as a parent and also yourself you are also an educator right so uh, the concern is very valid but at the same time you also need to consider um in terms of public health and safety uh, especially particularly when our our young children were not yet vaccinated i think there was also the worry that um you know we do we want to take the risk and say mask off is okay in school but yet uh, at the same time we are not too sure what the outcomes would be in terms of infection rates and in uh, extent of um the symptoms and and the, uh, the extent of the symptoms of the infection and or the severity of the infections so it's i guess for our government they more often than not they will always err on the side of caution Yeah. So they are a lot more cautious about it. So they decided, okay, let's continue to mask up. So it's been two years. It's a long time, and you're right. Um, these are very important formative years for our children, um, especially when it's about you no know, learning. When you're young, it's not so much about the content of your syllabus and yeah. curriculum. It's really about interactions. Yeah, interactions, yeah. Understanding cues, facial cues, verbal right. cues, and all and so on. So. You know, being masked up is not easy for our children, but I hope that we have uh, passed the worst. Uh, we are already opening up, even in at the university level. We can have mask off as long as you maintain a certain distance. But if you want to sleep close together, huddle as a group, you can so long as you put your mask on. So there's an option, a lot more flexibility. So I hope that going forward, especially with our vaccination rates um, ramping up, and and we are doing quite well in it, we can. Get as as much as back to normal as far as possible, lah. Um, yeah. I think, but then again, of course, two years is that has passed. That have passed is not something that we can get back. But I think yeah. we hope that uh, henceforth we can really ramp up our interactions and learning among our young ones. Yeah, I feel that there hasn't been enough discussion on it because we've been so obsessed, like. Like you know, typically Singapore, right? We are obsessed about the numbers, right? The number of numbers, cases, yeah. the number, yeah, yeah. So, and we have not had a proper public discussion on this, you know. So, uh, and also, you know, when you mentioned the vaccination, uh, we are now ninety plus percent vaccinated already. I mean, not children. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so uh, general public, right? So, uh, so I really think that we are being so conservative. And okay, wider society, I I'm fine. You know, it's something an inconvenience. I think a lot of us can tolerate. But I really worry about this. You know, the the children at at those very formative years and and how long more. So, 
Yeah, so I mean, and I feel sad also, you know, like my, my son is in primary one this year, like only one parent could go, you know, those those sorts uh, of things. And yeah, you know, and uh, PTM, everything's online. Soon, right? yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, soon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll have movements, uh, positive movements, especially with regard uh, to the mask. But anyway, so uh, it seems like it's a long while away still. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, okay. Civil society, because your the first sec segment was on civil society, the first section of your book, right? Yes. And uh, that, so that's what is the you contributed a chapter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> I had a chapter uh, there too. And uh, incidentally, uh, next week uh, I will be having Const Constance Singham on. Ah, yeah, she's okay. yeah the veteran civil society activist, right? And. Uh, and it's also sad, right, that her book launch uh, was cancelled by the Arts House. And for whatever reason, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know, but uh, I mean, it's cancelled. Uh, she had to move it elsewhere. So uh, what is the state of affairs of civil society now? You think what are the, what are the lacuna or what is the lacuna and what, where can we move ahead? Or how can we move ahead? Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I must say, I must qualify that I'm not an expert in the civil society scene or sector. Um, Anthea probably will be a better person to speak about this. Uh, Anthea Ong. But I, I would say that what we have now, um, compared to the time when probably you and I were in our teens or in our early 20s, 20, 30 years, but it's uh, quite different. Um, I think there's a lot more breath, a lot more birth for civil societies to um, be a lot more active, to get their voices heard, to even carry out um, studies you know, to, for, for issues that they advocate for. And now, especially with social media, there are many more avenues and platforms in which, that, uh, in which they can share their findings and their views. So I think it's, uh, it's good because more than anything, uh, it's always good for any individual and any society that's maturing and progressing to get information from many different sources, you know, not just from specific sources or worse still sources that are prescribed for us. Because um, that's something that I also try to instill in my, uh, in my students. These are all the different sources that you have. You know, consider this view, consider this perspective. At the end of the day, you have to make that judgment. You have to decide. Um, you have to make that informed choice based on the information that you've gathered. Uh, I'm not here to tell you what's... Um, what's the one perspective you should only look at or what's really the right way to do this. Um, there are many different factors to consider, many different ways to look at it, but you have to decide. But what I'm here to do is to share with you the different views, the different perspectives. So it's, uh, I think we're in a good place. We're maturing as a society. We're giving a lot more space and birth and flexibility for the different and sometimes to, to some extent divergent views to emerge. Uh, and I think that's good. That's good. Yeah. Mm. That's a very positive view of civil society. <laughs> Am I supposed to give an otherwise? <laughs> no, no. Because I feel, I don't know, I feel like the, the trajectory is not linear. Right? Sometimes like you feel, oh, we are moving ahead. And sometimes it feels like, oh, we are not really. Like, like when Constance, uh, her, uh, her book launch was, that I felt, my God, like this is, is she, I don't know what, is she a threat? Like at 86 years old, like after everything that she's done and she's proven, right? Is, 
is she still an unknown quantity or what is it that she said that she hasn't said before or is so controversial that it had to be and i'm sure it wasn't like uh, the government asking us house to cancel or anything right but uh, we all know how 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 it works in there's always some uh, overzealous uh, administrator <laughs> who is overly uh, cautious. I'm being on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly, I'm really, yeah. I'm really, not privy, I'm really not privy to what transpired or what were the causes of the cancellation. But I would say that uh, it's good for young people to have different views, right? Different viewpoints, different perspectives. So in this day and age, there's nothing to stop you from really having a, a launch of whatever that you've written. If you can't have a book launch in the arts house, you can always launch your, your writings and your thoughts and your uh, memoirs on, on different platforms. And there are ways in which uh, society can have that reach, uh, be able to access what you have, uh, what you have to share. So I think don't, I, I, I always like to, you know, maybe it's an optimist in me, don't, I, I don't want to, Take it so negatively, but I think uh, there are ways in which uh, Ms. Constance Singham can also reach out uh, to the general public. You know, there are many different platforms which I'm sure um, people are also keen and interested to hear what her views are. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I think the, the Arts House just made her sell uh, more books because, uh, yeah, really, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it works. Right? It's right? always a silver lining, try... isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, do you think there, there should be red lines for civil society? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I think we, there must be that flexibility, that um, birth for civil societies to exist, uh, for advocacy groups to to want to advocate for certain issues that uh, they feel passionately about. Red lines, I guess, on the part of the government, there's always the, the worry or the concern whether there are certain lines um, or sensitive areas where we shouldn't cross. You know? And I know that for the government, particularly when it comes to race and religion, they're very, very careful about it you know? uh, because there are always sensitivities involved. But... Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize them as just red lines alone, but I think there are areas which are sensitive, which we probably need to have deeper conversations in. You know, uh, the only, it's, it's not so easy, especially in this day and age. Probably it worked 50 years ago, but now it's not mm. so easy to just say, this is a line that you can cross and that's it. Right. You know, people will start, will always question why. And that's right. why those conversations are important, to be, have that conversations where you have representations of different views, even divergent views, you know, so that even if you can't move that line, but people understand why that line exists, rather than just saying, this is the line you can't cross and that's it. I think you, you need to have that conversation so that the understanding is there. The awareness, and then I, you see my view, I see your view, okay, we can agree to disagree, but at least we understand why we are here and how we can move forward. I think that's important. Right, right. so your, your views really align with uh, this person that I'm going to quote. Uh, that person said, the need to be careful must not end up silencing all discussion of religious topics by making it so that the definitions of illegal behavior are so ambiguous that no one can be sure what might be judged hateful. Ironically, this might end up deterring meaningful interfaith efforts between groups as people steer away from any activity or topic for fear of causing unintended offense. Uh, do you know who said that, Dr. Intan? I said that, Wale. <laughs> I think it's going to make me almost fall off, fall off my chair. Okay. Let, let me pray tell. 
So, <laughs> oh, so Gen Z of you. So it's uh, it's Prof Yakub who said that in Parliament. One of oh, his. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he said that in 2019. Okay. So one of his uh, final speeches. So, okay. uh, and I think uh, is is your so your views and Prof Yakub's uh, are those the minority you think within the party or? <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe because I've been working with him for the past two years, so it's like somehow <laughs> become aligned. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do, I do really hope that the government takes uh, what what you're saying seriously because uh, because uh, you can see right even in the past five years I've never mind past five years past two years the discussions I've seen on Instagram on race I never imagined I would I would have seen that like five years ago I wouldn't have seen that like in the past two years right so in spite of the red line still being there like people are still are still gonna push it right so. Uh, and it will come to a point where, hey, why why do these red lines exist? Right, red lines exist, and if uh, if there is no understanding on the government's part, then it may backfire as well. So I de- I definitely agree, and I appreciate your point of view. Uh, so I hope I hope the government takes uh, what you say seriously as well, and what Prof Yakub, which I'm glad he he said it in Parliament as well, so it's on record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then again, so, kita. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, I mean, you guys were uh, members of, of the ruling but party and he was a re- minister I'm, also. He was, uh, probably, could, yes, but for me, I retired already, so I don't think I will be <laughs> Right, well, hopefully, hopefully. Well, I mean, you got Lawrence, Minister Lawrence Wong to write the forward, so I'm sure he's read the book or the important parts, hopefully. Yeah. I don't, I okay. not read the whole book. So. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... Final question, let's end on a light-hearted note, right? So, okay, maybe second second last question, okay? So, you are working on, uh, on another project, right? Uh, so, an, another book. So, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, actually, it's a project that I worked on uh, for the past three years, already completed. So, um, official completion oh. date is end of this month. So, this oh. uh, was my project. I don't know whether you can see. Oh, so the book is going, is going to be released... Uh, okay. this one, so it's Kampung this Lorong Buangkok. Yes, Kampung Lorong Buangkok. That is my SIT Ignition Grant project. So I got a grant from the university to do this project, which is a documentation of the oral history and personal narratives of the residents of the Kampung. Because, you know, this Kampung is going to be, um, well, it's going to make way as gentrification takes over, you know, as urban redevelopment. Uh, under the URA master plan, this Kampung will be replaced by two schools, a primary school, a secondary school, as well as a three-lane bi-directional highway and a public park. So this kampong, which is the last kampong on mainland Singapore, will uh, disappear. So it's really a matter of when and not if. Oh, really? Um, you think so? Yeah. It's a matter of when and not if? Yes, yeah. yes because it's already there on the URA master plan. You don't see the kampong there. Yeah. Uh, and you know that we have the Land Acquisitions Act, right? Which means that yeah, the yeah. can uh, acquire right. even a privately held piece of land. So it's, um, I, I got to know this kampung because of my work in, uh, in Jalan Kayu, in Amokyo GRC. This was under Jalan Kayu division. Oh, it is? Okay. It is, it is. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a unique place because it's really the last kampung in mainland Singapore. The only other kampung we have left in Singapore is on Pulau Ubin. Yeah. Right? So Pulau Ubin is uh, very likely going to stay on because it's offshore. Uh, anything on the mainland is considered prime land. Right. So it's going to make way for urban redevelopment. But I think it's a very unique uh, place because well, even though it's owned by a Chinese lady, Ms. Feng Wei Hong, 
more than half of the residents are Malays, Muslims. Yeah. And then there's a surau. There's a small mosque. Yeah, mosque. she maintains the the mosque, right? The the yes. surau. Yeah. That's right. The I I found that the fascinating. I just recently found out as well. Yeah. 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 So I I thought that this is really like a, a very unique microcosm of Singapore society. The fact that it's multiracial, multireligious, multiethnic, but they coexist so well since 1956 when it was first established. Uh, even before our independence, and to this day, even though Miss Sung owns that piece of land, she rents out the different plots of land to the families. They build their own wooden houses, zinc houses, and whatnot. But you won't believe it, Walid. The rental rates are really very low. Probably the lowest in Singapore. The most expensive mm. uh, land rental per month is thirty dollars. The cheapest is about six fifty, six dollars fifty cents per month. Wow. So. Yeah, and she doesn't want to increase the rates because why? There's a certain um, relationship that she's built with her her residents, you know, the her neighbors. So it's really about uh, wanting to take care, maintain that good relationship. So it's okay. I'm not trying to profit off you, but let's just uh, live uh, in harmony. Yeah. Um. So it's it's quite unique. So what I, my team and I did was we thought um, we should document the stories of the people in the kampung, and we know that there are a lot of residents coming, or rather people, general public, going to the kampong because they're curious. So Miss Sung was sharing with me that sometimes she feels she's an uh, animal in a zoo or yeah. an exhibit. Yeah, yeah. I walk in and out, peer into the Exactly, home. yeah. So yeah. I, felt, I went there last week, actually. So on, on did you, Sunday. Did you and... ask Miss Sung for permission? No. <laughs> so, but I was, I was so... I was so conscious of what what you said because I really didn't want to go in and you know say hello to everybody because I I am sure they are irritated by it right as in yeah. oh my god they are not animals in zoos right so yeah I just went in yeah and then went out <laughs> so, yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah so what we did as part of this project other than this coffee table book is to capture the entire kampong in the form of a virtual reality tour so um, you can actually go visit the entire kampong without physically being there in the kampung. Wow. So it's a VR tour. Um, and you can even go into a few of the houses like Miss Seng's house, Madam Fatima's house, Madam Maima's house through the VR tour. And then wow. interspersed within the VR tour will be video clips of the interviews I did with them as well as some fun facts about the kampung. So we hope that in future, when the kampung is no longer around, people can still take this tour and, and recall and reminisce what the kampung is like. So part of the project uh, grant that we had was to purchase the you know Oculus Go goggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that yeah, yeah so that yeah. you can have an, a more immersive experience as you take right. a virtual reality tour. But it's also right. available as a web-based VR tour, which people can take. I'm so this will be ready. One website mm. by this April, will be ready. Everything will be oh, ready wow. in the in uh in on the website in SIT. Yeah. Okay. Of course, it's not reality. Yeah. I understand that, Marian. <laughs> uh, we wish that we can retain. But the other reality also is that um, the residents in the kampung are aging. Um, those who are left are really the older residents. The young ones have actually more, all moved out. So even the older residents left in the kampung lamented that, oh, sekarang cuma tinggal orang yang tua-tua. Those who are left now are only the older ones, the elderly ones. The young people only come in once in a while. So... We, we know that the reality is that once this elderly resident of the kampong have passed on, then what happens? I think the last thing we want is to have the kampong, which is just an empty shell of what it used to be. Mm. 
Um, so we have to find a way in which we can retain the memories, the spirit and essence of the kampong without leaving it just as an empty shell. If there's a way in which it can be incorporated into a community space so that we can still um, ensure that the spirit and the essence of the kampong can still be lived and experienced by younger Singaporeans, I think that will be good. Otherwise, we can be part of the schools that was planned. You know, even in schools, we should not just be about classroom walls, right? Learning exists mm. everywhere. It's not just within the four walls of the classroom. Learning can also exist if that kampong can be part of the school. The students can really um, you know, carry out their daily activities, uh, their social interactions within the kampong and understand, ah, oh, this is what the kam a kampong is like. This is what the kampong spirit is all about. Yeah, I don't know. These are um, ideas. Right. Uh, which we can explore. Well, I think it's such a good project. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and I, I will help publicize it as well. Uh, I, I'm uh, sure you will get you, uh, better. This one not for sale. Not... Uh, this one is just uh, based on my project <laughs> grant I print. <laughs> so I, 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 can, I can give you one copy when I see you tomorrow. Okay, uh, okay. Thank you, thank you. Uh, but, and, but I mean, I'll the be online donating one. a few copies to NLB uh, so that right, at least right. the public so, also have access so, to it. So Haikal said, I'm sure there are young families who are eager to be part of this kampong, especially at $30 a month. And DeLorean <laughs> says she is, uh, she's happy to be the penghulu of the kampong. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I guess the broader point here, right, it's a bit frustrating sometimes that the, the iconic places of Singapore are always like destroyed. And, you know, it's almost as if there's no soul to this yeah. country. It's always made I mean, it's almost as if consumerism, materialism is, is number one and everything else. There's no room for emotion. There's no room for spirituality, you know, because there's a connection people have with, the, with these places as well. So it's just a bit, a bit frustrating sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's true. I, I agree because um, that emotions, uh, spirituality is very much a part of our human psyche. You know, we, mm. we all need it, you know, because yeah, we need right, it for right. our own well-being and, and so yeah. on. Um, but I think there are ways in which we can have those, um, maybe not always in the physical sense, because space is a premium, right. land is a premium in Singapore, but there are ways in which we can ensure that it exists, uh, but we just have to explore uh, what are the possibilities. Right. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Intan. Final question. So this one is really lighthearted. Okay. So there are a few reasons why I started this series, right? One is really to to discuss important issues in a long long form format, right? Not the kind of two minute soundbite uh format, which for me is is not helpful. That one is to score to score points, you know. Uh so that's the first one, like to really discuss ideas. And the other is really it's about showing how people from different parties, right? Ultimately, we all have one goal, right? Which is the betterment of society, the betterment of this country. And, and just to put it out there, so, so in that spirit, right? I always ask this to politicians, right? Who is your favourite uh, person from the other party, from the opposition? Who is your favourite? <laughs> so if the opposition is here, I'll ask them. I always ask them, who's the favourite PAP? So who's your favourite... Uh, <laughs> Um, my favorite from the opposition. Okay, my favorite yeah. politician, not from the PAP. Um, yeah, I would have to say Pritam Singh. Okay, yeah. yeah I would because... have to say Mr. Pritam Singh, because I I find that um he's very confident in what he has to deliver, his uh, articulate, his eloquent, um and 
And I think as a leader, he shows that um, he's, especially as a leader of the opposition, he shows that he's in touch, not just with uh, the, the ground, and he not, not just that he understands the pulse of Singaporeans, but even um, his own team members. You know, um, the unfortunate case of uh, Raisa Han when it happened, I think more than anything, Pritam wanted to you know, give her some time and space to sort out her issues. But somehow things uh, turn around, you know, and uh, instead of focusing on the person who lied in parliament, I think it, was, it just blew up. But I think um, if I have to choose one, I would say Pritam. Okay. Thank you so much. I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation and thank you for everything that you've done and all the contributions in parliament and outside parliament. And I really look forward to your future projects, the uh, Kampung Bangkok uh, project and others as well. Yeah. And is inshallah, there anything else? You, yeah. Yeah. Inshallah, we're yeah. having we're having a planned uh, series of five community exhibitions on the project. The first one will be at Chiyuan Community Center in Amokyo GRC. Um, that will be in April. So do look out for it. That will be open to public. Yeah. Okay. So just to showcase uh, the project deliverables. Uh. Okay. So I will I will help publicize in whatever small <laughs> platform on whatever Thank small you. platform I have. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much, much Dr. Intan. Thank you for the it, it was a pleasure. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank and you. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Good night. Yes, thank you. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye -bye. Thank you those who are here. Bye-bye.